men. Well, thank you. You can grab a seat this morning. Thank you for gathering at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I know there's 23, 24 other churches in town you could have gone to and you came here. So thank you for trusting us with your worship experience. I hope so far you've had an opportunity to, to worship and get before God. What I want to do now is take us into the scripture and begin to explore how Paul's teaching can make direct application into our lives right now today in ways where you can impact your society in a way that has kingdom value and a transformative effect. As Christine was reading this a little while ago, um, it begins with this phrase, now thanks be to God. Thank you, God who leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And this whole thing ends with this phrase. Let's say this last question together. The last sentence is a question. Let's say this together. And who is sufficient for these things? I want you to raise your hand and say, I am. I am. God's calling you brothers and sisters, to take some responsibility for the way you smell. God's going to ask you to take some responsibility and see within you the potential to have the aroma of life leading to life rather than just the stink of death leading to death. So that's what we're going to explore today. Now, it was Aristotle, as it turns out, many, many years ago. Uh, most of you won't remember this, but uh, in school you studied Aristotle, who discovered that the way we perceive and experience the environment around us is done through five senses. Now, who's the smartest person in the room who can tell me what the five senses are? Okay, let me lower the bar. Can somebody tell me one of the senses? Keep going. You got this, man. Sight and smell. Taste. Touch. You got this. Yes, there you go. Every one of them. Excellent. Tell me your name. I don't know you yet. Hi, Paul. You did really good. You nailed them, man. Paul got all five. There we go. And Paul, are you what, 17, 18 years old? How old are you right now? Eight. Nailed it. Excellent. Okay, thank you, Paul. So there are five senses that Aristotle had identified. And so we know what those senses are. And, and we're going to take a look in particular at this sense of smell today. That's going to be our primary subject matter. Um, as it turns out, scientists have understood that there are other senses as well. Aristotle had identified the five, but science understands there's several others um, that are still within debate and all that kind of good stuff. But the thing that you'll want to remember as we start to move in and just kind of lock this in the back of your mind and keep opening it as we go, the one that is most closely tied to memory is your olfactory sense. In other words, your smell is most closely tied to memory. And so keep that in your mind as we move on. So let's, let's do a little exercise together. And I'm going to ask you to participate. Now, don't everybody yell out at once. Just kind of, kind of, as you think of one, respect each other. But let's say I'm nice and loud and proud. Let's talk about what are some smells that make us smile. So tell me, what are some smells that make us smile? Paul, you get to start. What do you think? Smell you like? Food. Okay, and we're done. No. <laughs> smells you love. What smells that make you smile? What do you got? Flowers? Flowers? Coffee. Oh. Okay, bacon? Hot chocolate? Cinnamon gunpowder. Oh, I know, right? Tannerite. Way to go. Excellent. 
man, I got, how am I going to get back on track? Okay. Garlic? Who hired you? No. <laughs> As you think about these smells, what happens, you like them. And so you light up and you smile and it, and it makes you happy and it brings this sense. And so anytime you experience that scent, it just kind of brings back that happy feeling, right? Hey, what's the next slide going to be? Okay, what are the smells that make us not smile? Now, be polite and don't look at the people next to you as you do it. But smells that make us not smile, what are some of those? Middle schoolers that don't shower. There's so much truth in that. I was a youth pastor for 17 years. I'm going to promise you something. There is no worse smell than the middle school bus. Okay, okay. Others, other smells that make you not smile. Okay. Nice. You're so proud of your son right now. Other smells. Smoke. Yeah. Gasoline. Ah, I'm a gearhead. I don't know. <laughs> Diesel. Okay. Garbage. So smell is associated with emotion. You feel it. You don't just say it. You actually feel these things. And so Aristotle's trying to work all this out in this. In, this is Moose. This is Aristotle. Stick with me. Aristotle is trying to work all this out. And he's saying, I perceive and I engage with my environment. And these are the ways. Paul is trying to get you to think like this. You have an effect. You become an environment, you create an environment that people experience and they perceive and experience because of you. And he identifies this, this scent as his illustration, his metaphor, as it were, or a simile, I don't know. He's trying to help you grasp this. You create an environment that people are going to experience. And when you call yourself Jesus follower, okay, the environment you create speaks to that thing that you identify or represent. Now, let me go back and, and pick up on these smells we love and, and smells we don't love. Um, for me, my favorite smell on the entire planet, without even a distant second, is this plant. Now, anybody from Appalachia who knows what this is? Almost. They're in the same family. It's mountain laurel. Exactly. Mountain laurel is <clears throat> it's distinct. It doesn't smell like anything else. It is distinct. It is intense. It is phenomenal. And it travels well. <laughs> so some of my favorite memories and favorite time of life were in my adolescence and, and early 20s and, and just in growing up in that area and spending so much time in those Appalachian mountains. And, and, and that smell, whenever I feel it, I'm completely taken back to this kind of happy time in life where I really didn't know a lot of, of, of tragedy or struggle or difficulty. It was just happy. And I loved that time of life. And so for me, mountain laurel has that scent. We were at my uh, nephew's wedding, uh, Justice in, right, in Miranda's, and we were in Ohio. And uh, in this area, we were at Ohio, sorry, in this area of Ohio. And, and it was in northern Appalachia. And, uh, and as Kim and I were walking around on the grounds, both of us just stopped and looked around because we smelled it. We picked up on Mount Laurel and we we're looking around trying to figure out where it is. And we finally found this poor beat down bush that had like three buds on it that had flowered. And then we just stood there going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But you can't miss that smell. Now for me, it brings back those feelings. And so when I smell it, listen, when I smell it, I'm right back there. 
So there's this other one that, that sticks in my brain. Now, this picture is not the actual picture because I don't know. And time does what time does to memories. But the way I remember my great-grandmother's house, my mamma's house, I think it was in Alexandria. Just stick with me if it's not. Mom's the only one who knows, and she's not saying. But as I remember it, my mamma's house was in Alexandria, Louisiana. And there's some smells that anytime I get that smell, I think about this. If I smell chicken and dumplings, I'm there. I'm in Alexandria. Right now, I smell that. I, I'm Boom, I'm in that place. If I smell wisteria, boom, I'm right there. Southern uh, honeysuckle, not the invasive stuff you have up here. I'm really sorry that we have to deal with that up here. But southern honeysuckle, you guys know it? Been around it? Oh my goodness. It tastes as good as it smells. It's phenomenal. But I smell that. I'm right back there. If you're the fragrance of life leading to life, then when people encounter you, you create this lasting, lingering memory that stays with people. And it should be the memory and the feeling of life and godliness that leads to more life and godliness. But as it turns out, I have one more memory I want to share with you, and we call this remembering Boudreaux the raccoon. Now, moment of silence. Okay, so Boudreaux had lived a phenomenal life. Boudreaux had it made. He had a great pine tree to live in. He had right across the, the road over there was an apartment complex with dumpsters everywhere. And people put food in there. And Boudreaux feasted. And Boudreaux got robust. And then he got obese. And he was a happy raccoon. And he would go back and forth and swim in everybody's pools. And so he was a clean, fluffy, happy raccoon. It was just a great life for Boudreaux. Unfortunately, one day on the other side of the road was a, was a huge collection of natural forest of, of a natural forests and fields where a lot of hunters would gather, like myself. And this is where we used to go dove hunting. And this is South Texas, and it's a wonderful place to go. And it was beautiful. And as it turns out, Boudreaux did not quite make it across the road one afternoon. And in the hot Texas sun, Boudreaux said farewell to life on earth, and he went to that great dumpster full of packing peanuts in the sky, and he rolled off into the, into the ditch, and there Boudreaux breathed his last, and we're all sad. And, and it should have ended there for Boudreaux, except that it's hot in South Texas, <clears throat> even in October, November. And, and over the next few days, Boudreaux, who was already robust, got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And some friends came and joined Boudreaux, as it turns out, and lots of little squirmy friends had joined him inside, and he got bigger and bigger. And we had finished hunting that evening and we're trying to get back to the road in a hurry. And uh, we're trying to get to the truck to jump in where our friends had pulled up and everybody's running along. And I was running too, because we're all doing it. And as it turns out, as I ran and I stepped into the ditch, I stepped on Boudreaux and Boudreaux exploded on Shannon. <clears throat> and all all those new friends Boudreaux had made exploded on Shannon and all that goo was on my pants and up my nose and in my mouth and in my hair. And it was not a good aroma. So much so that the people who I thought were my friends would not let me ride in the truck with them. I had to ride in the back and I did not appreciate that. Now, anytime the smell of death comes around, I'm reminded of Boudreaux. And now you are too. You're welcome. If we're going to be the people at peace that we're called to be, 
if we're going to have the impact in our community, if we're going to be a body of believers that is transforming our community by loving God and others, if we're going to be the people who have the positive, peaceful effect in relationships at work and in home and in marriages and in neighborhoods and in the church, we're going to have to be a people who take responsibility for our aroma the way that we interact and live out the gospel. So what we want to do today is we're going to start with this passage and we're going to look at three manifestations or ways we want to think about it. First of all, Galatians 5, to 23. Let's read this together nice and loud. You ready? You with me, Paul? Nice and loud. Here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul actually goes on to say that against these, nobody makes laws against this. This is the way everybody understands we should live. If you are a Jesus follower, this should typify you. So let's have a moment of honesty, okay? Who would join me in saying that I aim for all of these, but I don't always hit the mark? Anybody else? Okay, so we all understand that this is the goal. And we all understand that if we lived like that all the time, we probably wouldn't have much interpersonal conflict. <laughs> but if you are like me and, you, and, and there's only one on there you don't nail, then, then obviously there will probably be some level of conflict in your life, some level of a poor scent that you leave behind. So let's keep coming back to that. But let's start this way. Our fragrance diffuses. It fills the same space we do. You may no longer notice your fragrance because you've gotten accustomed to it. And it's just who you are, but other people do. And you remember when I was talking about that olfactory sense being the one most closely related to memory? People will remember your fragrance and the way you fill the room. A couple of our staff have these little diffusers they put in their office, not because the annex stinks or anything, but they like happy smells. And so if you, they have their aromatherapy things, and, and when it's going on in Laura's office and you're walking by, the whole place just smells like cedar wood or, or plumeria or whatever it may be, and it diffuses, it fills the whole room, and it just smells nice to be in there. Laura thinks I just like to go in and talk to her sometimes. I just like the way it smells. And so it fills the same space that you do, your aroma. People know you because of the way you act and behave. And the more they get to know you, the more clearly that scent is diffused in relationships and in, and in places. So the way you act sticks with people. I'll, I'll show you. I want you to think of somebody you haven't seen in, um, let's say, 10 years. Okay, if you're 13, just tune out for a second. I want you to think of somebody you haven't seen in like 10 years. You got somebody in mind? Watch. Now, in your mind, without saying it out loud, what are they like? Right? You see what happens? You know who they are, and you can start to kind of think about the way they interact, the way you interact, the way they talk, their, their accent, or, or their habits, or their likes, or dislikes. You know these things. It's been diffused in the room, and you understand, and you know this person. That's who they are. That's their fragrance. So when Paul is talking about fragrance, that's really what he's getting to. Let's take it to another point. We may be the only whiff. Have you ever gone into a place that actually roasts coffee? Not just a place that, that, that brews it, but actually roasts coffee? There's, there's a place down in Appleton next to the PAC. When Kim's performing there, I, I like to go in that coffee shop because they roast in that place. And the smell is 
off the hook. It is amazing. I love being in that place. Um, just because of the sin, it fills my head. It fills my I love being there. But the thing is, it's rare to find places that actually do that. They'll brew coffee, but the places that actually roast it, it's a whole different experience. So once you've had that experience, it's hard to unhave it. You know what I'm saying? In our culture today, it's getting rarer and rarer and rarer to encounter authentic, genuine Jesus followers. What we're seeing a lot of in our culture, and in Western culture in general, not just America or Sturgeon Bay or your neighborhood or workplace, but in Western culture in general, we're seeing more and more people call themselves Christians, but they're acquiescing to culture as much as they are to Scripture. There is much good 21st century postmodern, post-enlightenment Americans, Americans as they are Jesus followers. And so they've blended the two together. I'll pick a few things from Christianity I like, and I'll jettison the things that I don't care for. And I'll take some of my Americanness and I'll put it in here and I'll, I'll pack some politics and identity and I'll use my race or my gender or political orientation. And I'll kind of form my fragrance based upon that. No, no. As a Christian, our identity is in Jesus. That's an authentic Jesus follower. And here's the incredible responsibility that goes with it. You may be the only authentic Jesus follower a person ever encounters or experiences. Which means you might be the only gospel they ever read. How's that for some weight that goes with your fragrance? It's important for us to remember that when people remember us, they should remember the authentic gospel being lived out. We are responsible for the way we do that. You may be the only whiff somebody gets. Let me set the next one up with, with this passage from Galatians. In Galatians 5, 9 to 14, Paul is talking with the, the Galatians about how to avoid legalism and to embrace instead personal holiness and grace. I'm going to stop right there. Look away from the screen. Listen to me for a second. There is a balance between personal holiness and grace that carries a scent with it. Okay? I'm not going to dish on individuals. I want to dish on a concept. Have you ever known somebody who's just a hard line, uh, I'll use the term fundamentalist, pharisaical, graceless, so-called Christian? Have you encountered these people before? Ah. Uh, as it turns out, this is what Jesus was encountering so much with the Pharisees. They were so fired up on law that they had lost the place for grace and forgiveness and loving people. And you know what they were like? They were like whitewashed sepulchers. You know what a sepulcher is? It's a tomb. Anybody ever been around when they exhume a body? Jesus said, that's what you people are like, you Pharisees. You're all pretty on the outside. But on the inside is all the fetid rot of death and decay. So it really makes you who you are, stinks. And this thing you wear on the outside is falseness. And Jesus loathed it. And so as Paul is talking to the Galatians, he's trying to get them to understand this concept. I want you to avoid that pharisaical legalism. And I want you to work towards personal holiness with an intense other foot of grace towards people who haven't attained your level of personal holiness. You carry your personal, personal holiness with humility, not as an excuse to attack others. 
And so here's what Paul said, a little leaven. Oh, by the way, let me, let me, let me just set this up real quick. This past week, um, some of our elders were working through some uh, situations we have in the church. You ever been to a church where you have a challenge or a situation? <laughs> no. So this week, as our elders are working through one of those, those, those challenges, one of our elders said, you know, I'm, I'm reminded how a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. And how we have to be careful that, that situations or sins make their way into our culture, into our church, and can infect, affect everyone. And so we want to be careful uh, both what we endorse, what we allow, and what we allow ourselves to be a part of. And so here's what Paul is saying to the church in Galatia. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. And let's say this together, brothers and sisters. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember us talking, oh, maybe six months ago about the royal law? And it came from Peter and James and Jesus himself. And it goes like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law as, as it's referred to in the scriptures. If we can think about that, it takes us directly into this, next, this, this last point with regards to uh, the little leaven in relationships. The very best perfumes only need a little, okay? Now, if you were the parent of a, a young teenage boy, what's that stuff in the can that they love to spray out? What is that stuff? Okay. It doesn't take much, Junior. Just spray it in the air and run through it, and that's enough for the rest of the family. And if you think you're getting in the minivan with that on, you're, you're walking or holding on to that luggage rack. That's actually a grip. That's not for holding bags. That's for you if you're using axe. So, true story. And so the whole, the, whole, the whole reality, sometimes it just takes a little. The best perfumes don't need a lot. It's that subtle, ooh, that smells great and has maximum impact. It's the subtlety of humility and graciousness. It's the subtleties in your life and your character of things like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, self-control. These things in your life appropriately and at the right time and, and doing it right and not trying to be overwhelming and ultra super Christian, but being real and authentic and humble at the same time at just the right time. These matter because that's how love expresses itself. It's gross when you try to cover up sin with over spiritualizing something. I had some people in our first service who were really funny. They came up after that to go, oh, I got an example you got to share. I said, the sermon's already written. I'm sorry, it's in God's hands now. And, I was and they said, so here, I'm goofing. And they said, so here's, here's the story. Um, we used to work at a restaurant. And out back, there was a deck on the restaurant. And we put a rat trap out there. And we killed a giant, you know, mega rat. And, and so the rat died out there under the deck and it stunk to high heaven. And so we were, we were getting ready to serve customers one afternoon. And somebody says, I got this. And instead of going under there and getting the rat out, extricating the stench, they took a whole can of air freshener that smelled like roses. And they sprayed the area and they sprayed over the rat carcass and everything. You know what it smelled like? A rat under a rose bush. Okay. <laughs> if you in your life have substantial, significant, obvious lifestyle, perpetual, rebellious sin, 
and you try to over-Christianize everything else to cover up your sin, what you are is a stinking Christian. Okay? You reek. You're a whitewashed sepulcher. Stop that. Be authentic and genuine in your Christian life. Where you have sin, admit it. Humbly move past. Here's a thought. Confess your sins one to another, and in doing so, be cleansed. Don't try to hide it. Move past it. And so this is part of this, this little leaven in your life can change the entirety of the way you smell and the way people perceive you. Showing up at the right times often turns out to be one of the most godly things you can do as a Christian. Not jumping into the situation to save the day man style, but sometimes just being there. I learned this lesson as a police chaplain. One of my responsibilities was to bring the worst news ever. But, but what I learned really fast was this, just be there sometimes. As it turns out, some people just need somebody to yell at. Cops are good at that, by the way. They do it every day. But, but the chaplain sometimes just needs to be there so somebody can cry, so somebody can yell, so somebody can just lose it for a few minutes. So somebody can ask all the unanswerable questions and just deal with that. Don't fix, just be there. But you know that translates into everybody else's life all the time. If, you, if you've got a friend who's going through tragedy, be there. Love them patiently, long-suffering, gently. Don't try to fix everything, just be there. That's one of the greatest loving, good-smelling things that you can possibly do. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when people have a, a wonderful thing happens in their life, a lot of other folks get jealous or frustrated because it's not them, and, and they're not coveting, you know, except on the inside. And so they don't really want to be around that person too much. Like, yeah, I know, you got it, you won, yeah, you, you got the award, cool. Let's talk about something. Sometimes being there is just, man, in that, it just being in that moment with them, let them fill it, finish, fill that moment. By you doing that, that little leaven of you loving somebody in the midst of, of triumph or tragedy, this is the thing they're going to remember about you. And in doing so, they're going to remember your Father who is in heaven. Now listen to Paul one more time. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of life leading to life. To the other, the aroma of death leading to death. And who is sufficient for these things? You are. You are called to be the fragrance of the gospel wherever you go. And what's that fragrance really look like in our culture, sound like? What's it behave like? Well, it turns out, friends and neighbors, it's exactly the same as it looked like in the culture of Paul's time. I went through the scriptures this past week, and I apologize for the crudeness of my little note thing here, but um, I went through the scriptures in the New Testament, and I just looked at what it's like to be transformed. And some of the things that it talked about are Christian-like behavior. In other words, life-giving good-smelling, God-transformed, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-empowered living kind of looks like this. And as we prepare to move towards a time of reflection here at our service, I want to pl- read these. I just want you to listen to what Scripture has to say. And let's find out what God-scented living looks like. I'll begin in Galatians, and it goes like this. 
by the way, you know what I mean when I say synthesis? These are all the scripture's words, not my own. They just kind of go one into the other. So here it goes, starting in Galatians. All of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed, clothed yourselves in Christ who instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in your present age, looking to the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this is the will of your God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual morality and consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, dead to impurity, dead to lustfulness, dead to evil desires and to greed. These amount to idolatry. For it is because of these that the wrath of God is going to come on people of disobedience. And you once walked that way when you were living with that. But you flee immorality. Every other sin a person commits, they commit outside the body. But the immoral person sins against their own body and the Holy Spirit who dwells there. But immorality or any impurity or that greed must not be even named among you. For you are saints. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and factions and slander be put away from you with all malice. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Jesus Christ and the one who has created you. In reference to your former way of living, Lay aside that old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed by the spirit of your mind. And put on this new self, which is the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That we are no longer slaves to that sin. I say, walk in the spirit. And you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For this flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you don't do the things that please your God. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the condemnation of the laws. If we live by the spirit, you're also going to walk in the spirit, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and gossip and all slander. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours when you were ignorant. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you're healed. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us all from sin. The solid food is for the mature, who because of practices of their senses have trained to discern good and evil, but have nothing to do with worldly fables and philosophies which are empty deceit. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Now applying all diligence in your faith, demonstrate moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, 
brotherly love. And in your brotherly love, everyone will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. You see, Christ and his writers throughout the scripture have shown us what it's like to live a life where the fragrance of life is diffused in the environment because of you. That is your responsibility and mine as Jesus followers. Let me ask you to bow your heads, to close your eyes as we go to the Lord in prayer for just a minute. And as we prepare to speak to the creator and sustainer of the universe, I just want you to imagine yourself now in front of Jesus having a personal conversation. I want you to imagine that Jesus is looking at you with tremendous pride and love. And Jesus, in this moment, we thank you so much that you've made it clear to us what it is to be the fragrance of life that causes others to have life and to love you because of what they've seen in your transformed people. Jesus, in this